0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today we've got a great guest, somebody who our paths crossed nearly 20 years ago when I was playing in college at Gonzaga. At the time, he was an assistant coach at the University of San Diego. Since, he's gone on to have a tremendous career as a coach in the NBA, both as an assistant for some of the best organizations in the NBA, but also as a head coach in a couple different stints with the Memphis Grizzlies and the New York Knicks, Coach David Fisdale. Coach, Glad to have you on. How's life for you? I believe you're in in the LA area now. Back to your roots, am I right?
0: Yes, life is good, man. Thanks for having me on. Really, uh, this is a real pleasure to kind of link back up after all this time, and and uh, and the fact that I'm not coaching against you, watching you rain threes on me, is is really nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you bringing, uh, you making that comment brings some good memories back uh, for me. That's for sure. Uh, Always had good times in the Jenny Craig Pavilion down at USD, yeah. um, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of good basketball that's been played in that West Coast Conference. I guess that leads me to the first thing that I want to talk with you about. You, uh, you grew up in the L.A. area. You had the opportunity to, to go to University of San Diego and play for the Torero program. At what point of your growing up did you realize basketball was your passion you wanted to play at that next level?
0: You know, I knew young, at a young age, that this was going to be what I was what I was going to do. My brother, my older brother was a, a great high school football player and went on to play at the University of Hawaii. <clears throat> and like all little brothers, you try to follow in your brother's footsteps. And uh, in the midst of playing Pop Warner, I got cracked and broke my leg. And that was my mom looked at me and she said, yeah, I don't know if this one's for you. She was like, I think jump shots are a lot, lot better for your body type. So... I kind of just started leaning more towards basketball. I had an older cousin who really took the time to invest in me to try to teach me the game the right way. Uh, and I grew up with some great, great co- uh, coaches, uh, my junior high coach, who I'm still very close to, Albert Song, uh, my high school coach, Sam Sullivan at Fremont High School, is also my, my second cousin, who was really influential in, in, you know, giving me that passion and love for the game. And then I was lucky enough to play in high school on, you know, arguably the best. we were the best team for sure in L.A., and we lost to Jason Kidd in the state championship by three. But at one point that team was ranked fifth in the country. And so when you're a part of winning, which you know, it really just keeps encouraging you to move forward with what you're doing. And so, uh, you know, I just knew that, that one way or another, no matter what level it was going to be on, I was going to keep chasing the dream of being a part of the game.
1: Harvey Katani, who you may know from the L.A. High school basketball scene, has become a good friend of mine over the last four or five years with my work for Scorebook Live. And he was at Fairfax for 30-some years. He's now at Rolling Hills Prep. I I interviewed him a week or two ago, and I posed this question to him because he's been around the L.A. hoop scene for so long. And I'm going to do the same to you. Who is the best basketball player to come out of the L.A. area? Because there has been an unbelievable amount of good players.
0: God, that's a, we have this debate all the time. And obviously a lot of times it's generational and who you saw. and But I think, you know, I, to pick one is tough. Harvey coached one that is arguably the best, which is Chris Mills. Uh, he was phenomenal. He was a little bit older than me. And, and Chris was just a special talent. I think, um, you know, uh, there was a guy – who was kind of on the outside of L.A., but we all played slam and jam together, who I thought, you know, he died too young. He, his name was Ernest Killam. Uh, he ended up playing at Oregon State and, and having – I think he died of a heart deal at Oregon State, but he was phenomenal. But I think overall it's a, it's a toss-up for me between Paul Pierce and Baron Davis. Ultimately, I think talent-wise, uh, just – I mean, you talk about when well, you talk about all-star talent, superstar talent, uh, Baron and, and and Paul with a Gilbert Gilbert Arenas running right behind them. Uh, it's a toss-up between those two.
1: Yeah, those are two big-time names, that's for sure. I was teammates with Baron for a short bit in the NBA uh, with the Hornets before he got traded. And, and oh. had he not had injuries throughout his NBA career, um, not that he wasn't a great player, because he was phenomenal. Uh, if he had stayed away from injuries, I think we would be talking about Baron Davis a lot more than people realize right now.
0: He was unstoppable. He was huge. He was fast. He could jump. He could shoot. He was a, he was a, like a, a magician with the ball. I mean, he uh, – and he just had those nerves of steel. He wanted to take the big shot. I mean, in his last decent, you know, where he was healthy, you saw what he did at Golden State when they went on that run uh, and beat Dallas in the first round, he was a special player. And then obviously Paul Pierce, just a champion, you know, and just a guy who who had no fear when it came to playing
1: against the best. Yeah. I had a chance to be teammates with Paul as well, uh, with the short stint that I had with, with Boston before getting injured. And those two, Dirk Nowitzki, Brandon Roy, are the guys that I looked at in the NBA as kind of the cream of the crop. And you're talking about the best players in the world
0: unstoppable all all those names you just named and and brandon roy is a guy if he didn't get hurt i mean he was on his way to hall of fame and and you know all of the different things that you get when you're you're the best of the
1: best i mean he was he was a special player yeah absolutely i I love talking nuances of the game and and, in history of different players but i want to talk about your coaching path so you played in the wcc for usd At what point in your playing career did you think, you know what, when all's said and done, I want to sit on the bench and I want to help put together game plans, and at some point I want to be the guy that's in charge of putting together and implementing these game plans?
0: You know, it's it's funny you ask that because, you know, I always saw myself first I wanted to play, you know, like everybody. I wanted to keep my career going playing and, you know, really chase that dream. But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a high school coach you know, cause I always had this thing that I wanted to give back and I wanted to help young kids and, you know, impact them the way that my high school coach impacted me. But once I got, uh, when, when I, when I was a graduate assistant with USD and then I got a taste of the NBA by interning with Eric Spolstra and Spo, we were at the bottom of the barrel. Spo was a video coordinator and I was his intern. And I got to watch, uh, Stan Van Gundy work on the court and it's something just kind of sparked in me that I, I, this is something I would really want to do. And, you know, when you spend that kind of time with guys like Jeff Bezdelic and Stan Van Gundy and, and Pat Riley, you know, it, it does something to you. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of the game. I knew I wasn't good enough to really continue playing anymore, you know, and I didn't want to do the circus of traveling overseas and getting sent home, which they do with a lot of guys and, I said, you know, I, I feel a lot better if I just dive into this. And so after spending time with those guys and, you know, Spo really had a big impact on me that year, just, you know, all that time breaking down video, debating basketball, just like you said, just that, that dialogue of real hoopers, you know, and just, all right, well, what would you do against Jordan in this situation? And how would you guard this guy? And how would you score on this? And, you know, just having those long nights with Spo of having those discussions really fueled a, a, a passion for the game in a different way for me. And so I just knew that was something I was going to want to do. And and Miami offered me Spo's position as video coordinator as they were going to move Spo into scouting. And I turned it down because I knew I was ready. I wanted to get on the floor. I didn't want to sit in the video room no more and break down film. I wanted to get on the floor. And I was lucky enough that Coach Holland at USD reached out to me and he had a third assistant position open and uh, he and I had to have a, still have an incredible relationship. Um, and so it was just really a natural fit. Cause I was, I actually was the captain of the team of, of a lot of those guys who were sophomores when I was playing. And so it just really worked out. I had the respect of the players already and that kind of catapulted me into coaching.
1: What is it about that university of San Diego basketball program that breeds great coaches. I mean, you mentioned Brad Holland, who I, I thought was a terrific coach during my era playing at Gonzaga, but Eric Musselman's from there. Uh, Chris Grant, who was a general manager for the Hawks as well as the Cavs in the NBA. There must be something about the community down there.
0: You know, I, I really credit uh, Bernie Bickerstaff, who was the first of us, uh, you know, to make that jump to the league, and Hank Egan, uh, you know, those two from a coaching standpoint really instilled in us that you don't have to be necessarily the best player to be a part of the NBA or to be a great coach. And then once I got connected with coach Holland, you know, and just, you know, his NBA influence to know that he played on the highest level and won championships with the greatest player, Magic Johnson at that time. And to just have those stories and those interactions with him and it really, it, a lot of us it it gave us a different route that we could take and we got to learn you know when you talk about great coaches Randy Bennett was our assistant you know Randy Bennett is one of the best college basketball coaches out there hands down I don't care what anybody says that what he's done at St. Mary's is just phenomenal you know uh, Kyle Smith who's at Washington State now uh, was assistant coach there and so we were around just really you know serious basketball people with with really a a passion for teaching, a passion for developing young men. And so it just kind of filtered through all of us. And when I saw, you know, when I came in as a freshman, Mike Brown was on his way out and he took the internship with Bernie in Denver, it kind of stuck with me. Like, well, you know what, if if, if for some reason I'm not good enough to play at the end of this deal, (laughs) that's, that might be something I want to do. And what we've done since then is just, We've always tried to, to identify the guys, you know, coming through the ranks that have that same kind of DNA. And so you look at James Borrego, uh, you know, he's another Torero. He was a walk-on at USD. Uh, Sam Scholl, who's the head coach there now, was a walk-on at USD. And so we, we really have built up this, this crew. We call us In the NBA, they call us the, the USD Mafia. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but it's it's really cool because it's just it, it's all fueled through <clears throat> looking out for the
1: next guy and a love for the game. And
0: uh, it's, I'm really proud of the group that we put together.
1: Yeah, there's some tremendous names as you mentioned, Mike Brown, obviously coaching the finals a number of times. Bernie Bickerstaff, I the one year I spent uh, on the the bench coaching for player development with the Blazers, Bernie was on that staff, and and he was a tremendous resource as I was trying to figure out if that was the path that I was going to take. And then, you know, Kyle Smith is ahead of the game with the analytics at the college level. And Randy Bennett's pick and roll series might be the best in all of college basketball. Uh, So you're spot on with the amount of guys that you can kind of reach out to for resources.
0: And they're great people. That's the thing. It's it's not just about, you know, they don't care necessarily. And none of us really did about what kind of accolades and and fame we're going to get. It was always about, just teaching. And and are we making guys better? And are we making each other better? And and that's the part I respect so much about the group is that it's all about the purity of the game and trying to, make, trying to really take the game to another place and trying to bring
1: people along with us. Some phenomenal bits right there for sure. You talked though about your time in the NBA. Once you got to the NBA, you kind of went, through, I believe it was Golden State to another program, organization yeah. or two. And then you land with one of the most stable organizations in the NBA, the Miami Heat, and spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, what type of leadership did Pat Riley instill at the top, and then what kind of uh, implementation of everything was Eric Spolster really good at?
0: Well, you know, it's just it's hard to really describe Pat as a as just a leader. It, he he he's the if you had a a. a if there's a picture in a dictionary of leadership, Pat Riley would be that picture. It would be him and Greg Popovich sitting next to each other, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was lucky enough. It was so funny because when I was there as a video guy, Pat just knew me as the intern. And then 11 years later, because the heat don't really go outside of the family to hire when Pat stepped down and he moved Spoh into that head coaching spot Uh, Spo gave me a call. We were playing Boston in the playoffs. I was in Atlanta uh, coaching for the Hawks. Um, And he said, look, when you're done with the series, you're moving to Miami. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, turn on the TV. And right across the ticker, Eric Spoh's new head coach of the Heat. And so I said, yeah, you're right. I'm moving to Miami. (laughs) It wasn't (laughs) like an interview or like. And so, you know, I got down there. And, you know, I got to see Pat from a distance as a video guy. But when I got down there and I got to see him and how he interacted with us as a coaching staff from, from the presidency and to have somebody that had sat in those seats that you sat in as a coach now leading the charge from the top uh, was really invaluable because it wasn't just a a president that played or a president that never played, but this guy actually coached and he coached at a high level. And he understood the the nuances of, of the, of the coaching industry, he understood the pain the, the hours, you know, just all of the details of what we were going through as young coaches. And so, um, you know, I think having that really gave us a, a real comfort level from the standpoint of not only support and going out and be able to really coach a team, but having a resource that whenever you ran into a problem, you knew you could walk into his office and say, Coach, I, I, I need you talk to me. What about this? What about this? How would you, how would you handle this? And there was many days that, you know, like for me, what he would do, which was just, you know, I, I look back on those days and wish I could just still have them. Every, I, it was almost like every day after practice, I would go over to the table, whatever, watch and practice and I would sit with him and we would spend 20, 30 minutes on something something he saw in practice, a play that he likes, a way to maybe get LeBron to the post or it was just always something and you know to to be able to say that I had that with Pat Riley is just like you know it would be something I tell my son about, you know, those days and and you know for Spo Spo really you know for him he stayed the whole time in Miami. So when I left my internship, Spo was there all of those years. And so he was learning on a deep level about the heat way, the heat culture, you know, the way that the heat toughness, the DNA that, that, that it meant to be a part of the organization. And so it was really a seamless transition when they decided to move Spawn to that spot. And so, you know, really, and, and, you know, when it's your buddy, one of your best friends, you know, it's pretty cool to watch them evolve. And I got to watch him evolve as a head coach, you know, the first two years, we had Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam was our guns with Michael Beasley as a rookie and Mario Chalmers. And then two years later, everything changed. We got LeBron, Chris Bosch, and it was now a whole different pressure and a whole different type of leadership that was necessary. And so to see Spo grow over that course of time and evolve and, and not just as a tactician, but as a leader and as a, as a, as a culture builder and, and a culture advancer, uh, you know it was really cool as his best friend to see it and 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 I learned a lot you know from my friend and and you know I think a lot of times friendship often gets in the way of guys learning from each other but for us it actually was our driving force and we we were we were comfortable with challenging each other and he would you know we always laugh about it cuz he would see me coming in the morning and I would be like you know Don't, don't, don't try to dodge me. Don't try to dodge me. And he's like, I don't want to talk to you today. And I'm like, nah, we got, we got to get it out. And he was like, he's like, dude, the one thing about you is you don't have an ego. He was like, you'll bring me 99 suggestions and I'll shoot all 99 down. But here you come with a hundred. And he was like, that's what makes us great. It's like, we don't have, we don't worry about if I don't use your idea or if I come back to you two weeks later and say, what about that thing you told me two weeks ago? You know, it was never about ego. It was just about how many ideas could I give him to help him, you know, do the best job he could do. And that's where we really, we bonded in such an incredible way
1: and and we'll be friends for life over all of that stuff. The transformation of a coach going from an assistant to a head coach has always been something that's unique to watch because you kind of touched on it a little bit. As an assistant coach, you're throwing ideas out there to the head coach. And then the head coach has to kind of sift through those ideas from the three or four guys on the staff, however many they may be. And then he has to make the call and live with it. At what point in your assistant coach journey did you feel you were ready to start interviewing and and having a legitimate shot to to earn a title of a head coach for a team?
0: It was literally right up to the last year uh, in Miami um you know, LeBron had left. Uh, we had a tough year the following year. Um, you know, uh, Chris Bosch ended up getting a blood clot. a lot of stuff had happened with that team, uh, a lot of frustrations, um, you know, a lot of bitterness over LeBron leaving and us having to work through that. And that next year, um, you know I thought which I think is one of Spo's greatest coaching jobs, uh, you know, we came out and we pushed Toronto, uh, to the seven, uh, seven games to go to the Eastern conference finals. And I just remember as, as we were in the playoffs, uh, the Memphis job opened up and something just hit me. It just said, you know what, when are you going to grow some and go out there and and take a shot at, you know, making these decisions. And I am mulled over it and I sat down with Spo and I said, you know, buddy, I think I'm ready to at least start trying to interview. And up to that point, the crazy thing was we had won two titles and went to four finals and no one had called for an interview, which was, we were, even Pat was like, this is some BS. You should have been got an interview. And so at that point I, I was just like, you know, what do you think I should do? And he was like, let's go see Pat. And, you know, we're going to Pat's office, and I remember having this talk with him. I said, you know, Coach, I know we got the playoffs coming, and I never will let anything get in the way of, you know, us. just like going to see The Godfather, basically. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to kind of talk through some stuff. And I said, nothing to get in the way of my preparation and me trying to win this title. I said, but I think I'm ready. And he said, you think so, huh? And I said, yeah. I said, you think you could put in a call to Memphis and see if you can give me an interview? And – Right in front of me, Spo, he picks up his phone and he calls uh, Chris Wallace and he says, you're interviewing my guy. And I'm telling you right now, he's going to get that job. He's like, he's the best guy out there. He's ready to do this. Like, bring him in. And sure enough, uh, you know, I I get, you know, I get the call that they want to interview me. Spo and uh, our, our, our other assistant coaches, our, our video guy and our analytics guy, uh, all get together, Spole rents out a hotel room at the Ritz-Carlton and uh in uh Coconut Grove, gets us this war room, and they prepare me. They get whiteboards and I mean it was awesome. Like I'm talking about every bit of information about the Grizzlies, the numbers, the past, my philosophies, everything. And we just mapped out every possible thing that they might hit me with. And I went in there and I thought I had a really good interview. And sure enough, we're in the we're we're uh I think we're in game five or six, and they called me and made the offer. And, you know, it was bittersweet because I knew I was taking the job, but it was like, damn, this is going to be my last run with my with my guy, you know, and with, with my buddies on the staff. And, you know, the coolest part was LeBron and Dwayne were trying to get me out of there after we won the first title. They were like, you got to go, you got to go. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm riding this thing to the end. I don't know when I'm going to win rings again, you know. But Dwayne came to me afterwards when I did take the job, and it was just we had an incredible uh sit down where he just we we just talked about our appreciation for each other and you know how how we're going to make sure that our friendship is lasting and so you you know you can't replace that's when you talk about great organizations that's what it's built on is that mutual respect and the love for each other that's bigger than bigger than just a
1: game a tremendous story about how you know, a group of coaches who were tremendous friends worked to get you that job and to make sure that you were 110% prepared for that interview. And then it sounds like they were just as excited for you to get that job as you were that that's tremendous. I want to ask you about LeBron. uh, Because one of the greatest players of all time, some people are going to say Jordan, some people are going to say, Uh, Big O. Some people say will. It all is in the eye of the beholder. My personal feelings is Michael Jordan. But LeBron is tremendous. You Mm -hmm. had a chance to watch him probably at his peak during those Miami years. Explain LeBron James to somebody that might be a skeptic uh, to put him on that mantle.
0: You know, first off, wouldn't we all just want to be in the conversation? Yeah. Like when people get into these serious tit for tats about who's the greatest, it's like who cares? If your name is in that group, you're there. Like that's you know, nobody's just separating so far that it's just a no-brainer for a lot of people. So, but he he's a special human being. And 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 I say that because, you know, this guy, which was different for him, it was probably more like Kareem's path because when he stepped foot on a court in the eighth or ninth grade he was a national figure. Like, people knew who he was and put expectations on him to be the greatest. And, you know, Michael Jordan came along, you know, you didn't really know about Michael until he got to college. And then after he hit that big shot for Carolina, it was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, he could end up being great. Well, he could be the greatest. LeBron, it was like ninth grade, got to be the greatest player. If anything less, he's a bust. Right. And so to have that kind of pressure on you from 15 years old, I mean, is, is a tough situation. And so, uh, you know, when, when we he came to Miami, you know, he came under a, 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 under a dark cloud because everybody was pissed on how one the fact that he left Cleveland and dictated his own future, which was not a normal thing. You know, as a player, most most stars are looked down upon if they choose to go somewhere else. And so for him to leave home to go do that, he got ripped pretty good. And the way he did it with the press conference, it was just a ton of criticism over him. And so we knew with him coming in, he now became the bad guy. And, you know, again, we talked about the evolution of The, The The coolest thing for me during that time was watch the evolution of LeBron James. And to watch him go from this guy who everybody loved to all of a sudden everybody hated him back to the guy that everybody loved again. And to see how he navigated that and, and to watch him in his most vulnerable moments uh, where, you know, it was really hard on him a lot of days. And he really needed all of us to kind of lean on uh, to get him through some, some really difficult times, especially after we lost to Dallas. Uh, you know, the whole world was on him after we lost to Dallas. He didn't play great. We didn't do as Spo and I always said we didn't do a great job of coaching that series and, and making the, the right adjustments for him. And, you know, to see him come back that next year, which was the lockout year that you were talking about, uh, you know, we couldn't get back in the gym right away. And so everybody was chomping at the bit. And I just remember, uh, you know, and I've told this story before, but I just think it was such a pointed moment in his career was, you know, we were all hanging out um, shooting free throws, Dwayne, myself, and LeBron. And, Dwayne just goes to me, I'm going to let him know. And I'm like, what are you going to let him know? And he goes, he needs to know whose team this is. Because LeBron was really respectful of Dwayne and that being Wade County and his team. And, all. and so LeBron never wanted to take the mantle and just run with it, you know, because he, he respected Dwayne so much. And Dwayne grabbed the rebound and just held the ball under his arm and stared at him. And he goes, what are you waiting for? And LeBron's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, you need to hear it. You need to hear it. And LeBron's like, what are you talking about? Like He's like, it's your team. This is your team. Like, take it. He's like, yes, it's always going to be Wade County. Get over it. He's like, but this is your team. You're the greatest player on the planet. I'm here to support you now. And it was like a weight was taken off on LeBron. And when he said that to him, LeBron just – the league was in big trouble. He exploded, and he became this guy that uh, really, I think, he needed that next push to get over that hump. And he just took over the NBA after that point. From just he was unstoppable, and his his work ethic and his 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 attention to detail in his work ethic was very similar to like Steve Nash. You know, that just there was so much detail involved with him getting better at a certain skill or getting stronger in the weight room or building his conditioning level or his fitness level or what he ate. And it was just really cool to watch. Cause I ended up learning so much about nutrition and, and science and stuff like that from LeBron just because of the way he approached his body and the way he approached the game. I mean, it was days I'm telling you where I'd pull up to work and then this guy would be getting off a a, a, a bike in full, like, biker's gear, like, the tights, the (laughs) helmet, like, you know. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Like, how'd he get in our garage? Sure enough, he takes off the helmet. It's LeBron. He's He rode in from miles away to get extra conditioning in before we even hit the floor, you know. And he would do stuff like that. And, you know, so to see him come along, you know, the way he did, it wasn't a surprise at all uh When he really hit his stride, and became great. And I, and I think the coolest part about him was he is such a selfless teammate. He really cares about his teammates. He does stuff for his teammates. Like, we were – it was crazy, man. Like, you know, I, the cool part about having those guys is they got a lot of free crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always sending them stuff. But their deal was like, don't just send me one. If you're not sending me enough for the coaches and the players – We don't want it. So yeah, like I would come in the office and there'd be like a note from LeBron, try out this Samsung phone, Uh, try out these Dre beat headphones and try this. And it was always for everybody. You know, he would not, he would never leave anybody out. He would always do it for everybody. And, And, you know, one of the greatest memories is he called me one morning on a Saturday, a day off. And he's like, I need you to come in. I need you to come in. And I'm like, all right, you know, get shots up, whatever. Well, previously, he had been bugging me about what do you want for your wedding? I got to get you a wedding gift. And, I gotta, and I'm got and i like, dude, you've done enough for me already. Like, we won two titles. Like, I don't need anything. Well, instead of fighting with me, he had me do a commercial with him, and I got paid for the commercial, and that was my wedding gift. And it was a good gift because it was a Samsung commercial. So it kept repeating, and I kept getting these little checks in the mail, and it was like, You're a good friend, buddy.
1: (laughs) That's tremendous insight.
0: (laughs) And a lot of people don't know that's the kind of person that he is. And I think what you see it now is his next evolution is now he's becoming like this Muhammad Ali type of figure in this generation. The way that he's leading the young people in a lot of these movements and standing up for social injustice and things like that. And so, you know, I'm really proud of him and proud to call him a brother. and,
1: And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing his next stuff. Uh, That's tremendous insight, and and I don't disagree with the fact that LeBron is is speaking his mind, and he wants to share uh, his platform to 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 better the world, to better this country. Last coach, or last question, coach, before I let you go, Um, two cents as an NBA head coach: Is there any what's next for Coach David Fisdale? if a college opportunity opens it up? are you, would you be very interested in, or are you strictly looking at NBA right now?
0: I'm open, you know, I'm really open. I don't want to, I don't want to box myself in from that standpoint. I've, if I didn't learn anything from Spo, Spo always told me keep an open mind about everything, you know, don't think you got all the answers and don't get fixed on you're this or you're that, you know? And so my biggest thing right now is I'm really taking advantage of this time to be a good husband. To, to prepare myself to be a, a good father for my youngin' and, and really try to impact this, uh, impact this country on, on what's been going on recently. You know, obviously growing up in LA and facing police brutality in my own, on my own right, I wanna try to better, better the situation for young people coming up. And, you know, I'm a coach. I love coaching, I love teaching, I love uh, contributing to, to people's growth. Uh, I love the competition. Uh, which is what drives all of us, you know. What drove you as a great player, and uh, you know, whichever level that ends up being on, you know, and it feels right, and the, and the people are right around me, and they're serious about doing it the right way. Then uh, I'll lean in that direction. But uh, you know, I definitely, in a, you know, want to get back into it, and and I love another crack at being a head coach. Well, I'm I'm
1: sure you're going to have uh, plenty of opportunities down the road because. Of the background that you have proven out throughout the course of your career uh, you've been a tremendous assistant and and quite frankly from watching from a distance um, I'll say it you don't have to I think you got the short end of the stick on a couple different uh, scenarios but I I look forward to uh, watching where you land next and uh, you know hopefully at some point we'll run into each other sooner rather than later coach and I really appreciate your time today.
0: Thanks for having me on, man, and uh, for the people that don't know, they better go back and watch your film. You was a, you was a hell of a player, brother, and it was, it was always – you kept me up a lot of nights getting ready for you, I'll tell you that. And so it's cool to see what you're doing and giving back to the game uh, in your own way and uh, keep, keep that message going. All right. Thanks again, Coach. Take
1: care and uh, best of luck when the little one arrives.
0: Thank you, brother.